You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Captivate and on Patreon. You can get bonus content of our show on either of those platforms or on Apple Podcasts with a private subscription to the Amazal Ministries Podcast Network. In this episode, there will be some sensitive themes and possibly strong language used. We advise if you have children to tune back in some other time. Otherwise, just be prepared for some sensitive topics, and we hope you enjoy the show. Romans 15, verses 5 through 9 in the New American Standard Bible. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one purpose and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us. For the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. Here St. Paul explains salvation and the importance of Jesus in Romans. Romans. It's kind of what the whole letter of Romans is about. Um, he writes that one implication of salvation should be unity with all Christ followers. You know, the whole accepting one another stuff. Dr. Thomas J. Ord, how do you think this acceptance of one another that Paul mentions here is glorifying to God? It's actually a very difficult passage because I have mixed feelings on the call to unity. So often the unity card has been used to force people into submitting to having the correct beliefs or claiming that somehow Christians are all on the same page. When the church I'm a part of, that's just not the case. So um, I have a hard time making sense of things, especially given the topic we're going to talk about today, the LGBTQ issues. The fact that in the last couple of months, people have accused me and my daughter Alexa of trying to uh, spread disunity, of trying to divide the church. So when I see that word unity there, I have uh, my sort of, I have mixed feelings. What I do think might be possible is that people can try to love as best they know how in unity. But the truth is that even people who intend to love oftentimes have different views about what love is. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm stumped here as I try to make sense of this passage and your question. Um, so there you go. How's that for being ambiguous with my answer? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I would say unity and uniformity are two different things. And I'm sure we will talk about that more when we're in the episode itself. Um, but um, I would say that uniformity is not glorifying to God or else he would have made us all the same. Tune in for more. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Amen. Hey guys, welcome to possibly your favorite church unity podcast with a very is unity okay intro. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, your other co-host, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell, is not here yet, uh, although he is the greatest co-host of all time. Perhaps he thought the episode would be too great if he was here. 
perhaps. No, no, not sure. Not sure. We have to get into the mind of Tiberius for that. And that's something that we're just not equipped to do. But but I am here. We're doing kind of a crossover thing again as a follow up episode to something we did earlier. Christian Ashley of Let Nothing Move You, um, his podcast. He's also here. This is going to air on there as well, I believe. Um, Christian is a student at the Southern Baptist Seminary, and he tends to be more of the conservative view. And we are here with two ords. We have Dr. Thomas J. Ord. He's been on the show twice now. So hopefully you know about some of his books and some of the um, open and relational theology that he presents. And we are also here with his daughter, Alexa Ord, who recently have come up with a book together, Why the Church of the Nazarene Should Be Fully LGBTQ Plus Affirming. If you missed our last episode, we started to touch on whether unity is possible or not, if we disagree over this thing, and what do we mean by love? We might mean different things. So we wanted to further the conversation. They happen to write a book about it, so we're going to talk about that as well. And, and we happen to want to do all this around the time of Pride Month, and I figured we should get this done while it is, in fact, Pride Month, because it is important to a lot of people. So we're going to touch on all of this. I'm really excited for where this conversation goes, furthering our talk of last time. If you haven't listened to it, go check out that episode. I'll put the link in the show notes for you guys. Remember, if you want to hear more shows like this, both my and Christian shows are part of the Anazel Ministry Podcast Network, the AMP Network. So you can see more of our shows just by going to the AMP website, checking out all that. Of course, if you want to talk with us more about your beliefs on this and how you think we should have handled stuff, because I'm sure you're going to disagree with how we all think we should handle things, go on our Discord, let us know about it. And now I can get to my favorite form of unity. Um, because if you didn't know, it's impossible to be in disagreement and to have strife with one another when you're being silly enough. In fact, if you have strife, I think the best solution is to just get sillier because you're clearly not being silly enough. Um <laughs> It's actually something I learned while we played a, a game that Christian introduced me to, my favorite game ever, uh, Killer Bunnies and the Quest for the Magic Carrot. <laughs> Everybody starts to argue, and eventually you realize, I'm arguing about bunnies, and then you stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going to start this one off. What would be the least terrifying anthropomorphic bug? Um, Dr. Ord said he already thought up his answer, so I'm going to let him start. Well, I was actually thinking about my four-year-old granddaughter when I saw this, and um, the bug that she likes to hold in her hands are what we call roly-polies. I don't know the correct name, but so if there was a human who was a roly-poly, then that would be the least terrifying bug. Mm, mm, I like that. I That's like funny that. you say that. That's funny you say that, as my answer was also the roly-poly. <laughs> really? Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> See, unity. Right now, we're modeling unity. <laughs> you called it. Hot <laughs> I, <laughs> well, See, I, I came up with a more controversial one, but that's because, so for context. Divisive. You're being divisive, Joshua. <laughs> I was going to make it worse. <laughs> I, I, for context, um, I'm, I'm a slightly biased on this. I have a pollinator garden that I started on the side of my house with its own like ecosystem that all started because I planted a butterfly bush and then found out that it's bad for butterflies and then learned why it's bad. And then I was like, well, I can correct that if I just plant enough other things. And now I just have a whole ecosystem on the side of my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And, you know, thinking about the bugs that are there is what's in my mind. And the first thing that popped in my head was the assassin bug. And I was like, nope, absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, butterflies. That's why I started this in the first place. I love butterflies. And I was thinking of human sized butterfly. And I was like, OK, first of all, those wings are massive. Second of all, their face, if you're actually able to see a full blown up thing of their face, would also be terrifying. So I'm not going to go with a butterfly. I'm going to go controversial with the bumblebee because they're actually really furry and cute and have those big old cute eyes. And I think if they were bigger, people might be less scared of them, actually. Yeah. Ah. That's my thought process. <laughs> Christian. So great. You're making anthropomorphic people who can put me in the hospital with a single snake. <laughs> you know, they won't really sing you if you don't bother them, Christian. <laughs> well, you know me. I'm cantankerous. Um, so I'll start with what it's not. And that is ants right now, because I'm currently having to commit ant genocide in my dorm room <laughs> to prevent them from biting me in my sleep and sending me to the hospital as well. Still trying to get rid of them. Uh, it's also not what my original answer was going to be, which is a dragonfly, until I re- recognized, wait a minute, they would look cool, but they're also apex predators. And I don't know if I want a human-sized dragonfly out there. Nope. So my answer would be the humble ladybug. Yeah, I thought of that, too. Also, I think Roly-Poly might be the right answer. Roly-Poly is a really good answer. <laughs> yeah, those, those are just, that's pretty solid. Also has me wondering what an anthropomorphic uh, armadillo would look like. <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, Alexa, we have had your father on before, but you're new to our shows. So would you mind just quickly sharing with our audience some about your story and how you relate to the church or anything else we might need to know about you before we kind of jump into the meat of the conversation? Sure. Um, Well, I um, currently live in Brooklyn, although at this exact moment, I'm in Idaho visiting my family, which has been lovely. So I'm mere steps away from my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, in my day to job, I work in student affairs at Columbia Um, I'm a queer person and I grew up in the church of the Nazarene, but I am no longer in the church or religious at all. So kind of a a different sort of perspective to this project, but it's, it's, uh, brought a lot to, uh, you know, uh, working together here. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think that'll help a lot too with, um, when we're talking about these conversations of like, how do we love well, kind of having that firsthand perspective, especially and um, I, I think, See, I'm trying to remember, but I think part of your reason not being in the church also has to do with how some of this kind of stuff's treated, right? Is that my thinking right or am I yeah, thinking of somebody I, else's book? <laughs> I, in some ways, I'm very lucky because my parents were always very affirming and I, I didn't leave the church over this issue in particular. Um, I left just over more theological issues and sort of lack of interest as I grew up. Um, but... I have always sort of known that I I wouldn't really come back because there's not really a place for me um, in the church as it stands now. And I think that that's probably not as true as my heart sort of tells me as we're trying to create yeah. that very place. But it's hard to push against sort of the, uh, the ingrained uh, sense of your childhood self, knowing that, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't a welcoming place for you. So, yeah. 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 And I, um, I'm just going to throw out there because I feel like I'm probably the most neutral here. <laughs> I um, I also really dislike the place that either intentionally or unintentionally, I feel like a lot of people in church 
situations, you know, whether it just be church hurt or um, misogyny or kind of the stuff that you were faced with, different kind of prejudice, a lot of the times it feels like the onus is put on the victims or the ones that have been hurt to push against the system. And I really mm-hmm. dislike how much of the how many how often those conversations tend to lead there of, well, please tell us how to fix this. Well, it's not on them to tell you how to fix like like it's like beating someone up and be like, could you tell me how I could not bully you next time? Like, <laughs> maybe just don't bully them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's something in, in creating the book. We were trying to figure out how to. Uh, create a sort of community of queer people and allies without sort of depending on queer people to sort of uh, bear their trauma for the reader to sort of, you know, take advantage of of that hurt. So it's a hard balance to strike, but also uh, something that I think is worth doing. I just have one other follow-up question. Um, So we, our podcast probably reaches more people on the conservative side than the progressive side. Um, It's probably pretty close to split. But with that, I just have in mind a lot of people have confusion over the term queer itself. Um, you know, it was a bad word for a long time. And then it was like some people identified that. And it's, does, it doesn't necessarily mean that someone's, you know, gay or not or, you know, same sex attracted, depending on your lingo. Could you just help clarify what that term is and how it should or should not be used? Absolutely. And that also brings me to a point I forgot to include in my bio, which is that I have a master's degree in gender studies, which is part of why I um, was involved in this work. Um, Yes. So queer, as you said, um, was, you know, oftentimes used as a slur back in the day and then has since been reclaimed by the queer community um, as part of a push against sort of our subjectification. Um, Mm -hmm. And what queer means, queer is sort of used synonymously with LGBTQ plus. And that's actually what the Q stands for is queer. So it is both an overarching sort of umbrella term as well as an identity in itself. Um, And so you can identify as queer as a sort of stance of uh, alliance and coalition building with other people in the LGBTQ being any one of those letters. So I'm bisexual and I'm queer. And you can feel sort of more akin to one of those parts of yourself. There's another key understanding of queer that I also use in my identity. I often say that I'm queer in my sexuality, meaning that I'm bisexual. I'm queer in my gender, meaning that I uh, <laughs> and gender nonconforming. You know, I, I, I am yeah. questioning against womanhood. And also I'm queer in my politics. And that means that queerness has also sort of taken on this theoretical and political uh, identity as sort of pushing against the grain, resisting power structures and questioning sort of how uh, how patriarchy, et cetera, all of these things exist. So when you hear someone say that they're queer, uh, you can assume that they are a member of the LGBTQ plus community. You mm-hmm. can probably assume that they are thinking about some of these larger issues of power in um, queer spaces. And also you can assume that they want you to use the word queer for them too. It's okay. There are some people who identify as one of the LGBTQ plus who don't like to be called queer because of sort of, you know, hurt that they've experienced on behalf of that word. And usually those people will um, will say to you, actually, I prefer if you call uh, identify me as gay or et cetera. Um, It's a fairly small percentage, I would say, just sort of my understanding. Um, So I think it's okay if you. It's okay to move forward using the word queer and then be told, actually, no, thank you. Um, That's an okay thing to do. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. Thank you for that. 
you got an expert on your show mm. here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah, I think one of the gifts that Lexa brings, she brings many gifts to this book project, but one of the gifts is helping people to think through all these particular issues, but doing it in a way that she doesn't come across as like the language police. You know, you got to have the right word, or you know, you're you're a horrible person. Um, and sometimes it gets that way, and for sometimes for good reasons. But I think yeah. Alexa does a great job of of um, being yeah. educational without being confrontational. Yeah. Mm, also, you. you say questioning womanhood. Is that more of a questioning your gender or questioning stereotypes that people typically associate with womanhood, or a little bit of both? I think for different people, it can mean different things, um, and. You know, you, you can sort of talk about the different waves of feminism that, you know, in the 80s, we were really resisting uh, motherhood, you know, quote unquote, and we like want to be in the yeah. workforce, you know, all these different <laughs> evolutions. For me personally, it's uh, much, you know, more complicated of like, okay, well, in what point, in what areas do I feel like a woman? In what areas do I feel like not a woman or some other thing? Um, so mm -hmm. I would say <laughs> your gender, gender is a spectrum, both obviously, as we've talked about, as you probably are aware of like, male, female, et cetera, et cetera. But also in sort of genders about your presentation is about your own identity is about all these different facets. So there's a lot of, it's, it's a complicated question, yeah. I'll say. <laughs> okay. I get that. I get that. Before Christian takes over, um, I do want to throw out there because a lot of people say, you know, feel like this is a whole new topic or why are we all of a sudden caring about this stuff? Um, I want to point you to around the time of Christ, there's this book called The Symposium. <laughs> Plato Symposium, um, and they one guy submitted that there was like dozens or hundreds of genders. Then this is not a new question, but it is a relevant question, and it might be new to some of you, but it's not new to humanity or anthropomorphic studies or anything like that. It's more of a suppressed question over these yeah. past hundreds of years. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, so about a month ago, uh, we had a discussion. Uh, Tom with, sorry, I, I know you say I can use your name, but it still feels weird to me sometimes. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we, we brought up our different views of God and his omnipotence and his power and all that. And in that discussion, you brought up that we may agree that we should love our LGBTQIA plus neighbors, uh, but might disagree on what that looks like. Now, Dr. Org, could you remind us all what your point was and in thinking into that uh, through that episode? Yeah, I was saying that my primary motivation for being an affirming person is that I want to live a life of love and that I believe that Christianity and especially Jesus points to love as the most important or the central factor in how we ought to live, how we ought to think about God, etc. But then I acknowledge that some people who are not affirming, who will say take a more traditional approach to LGBTQ matters, also claim that love is important or central for them. And that we have, you know, we both appeal to love, but we come down very differently when it comes to these queer issues. Um, I could explain more, mm -hmm. but that's kind of the gist, I think, of where we were at. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We started to introduce kind of a scenario as just kind of like a thought project, I guess. I don't I don't know. <laughs> you know, pe yeah. people like us yeah. do these kind of things of um, – and, and we're going to change a little bit today. I think we're going to go with some everybody's actual stances on things. But I think what we did then is I said, suppose Christian in the scenario that was came up with last time 
not Christian's actual view. He you know, wants to love them, cares about them, but feels like helping them in certain ways or doing certain projects to support the community is more affirming than he's willing to be because he doesn't want to see like he's approving of their lifestyle because, you know, there's a lot of Christians that feel that kind of way. Um, I'm going to be the one in this scenario, not my actual beliefs. We're going to get to that in a second was um, I don't agree with them. I think it's a sin, but I'm fully okay helping them in any way possible being there for the community. And you are just fully affirming. You got to be yourself in this made up scenario. (laughs) And I think we kind of worked through what does unity look like if we're going to disagree, but still want to say that we're all Christians and care for each other as part of the same camp. And um, it was a hard question. So we couldn't address it fully in the end of an episode. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I think that's where we were at. Um, And then a very important thing that you brought up with all that. So let's go ahead and jump to the point there then. Um, We'll start with Christian. Let's just go ahead. What is your stance? What are your beliefs when it comes to how Christian should or should not affirm people in the LGBTQ plus community? Well, this is where we're going to get into our disagreements about what love is. So let's start off hot. Why not? <laughs> um, I am there every day. I am commanded by God to love everyone. There is no asterisk right next to that everyone. It, when it says all, it means all. When it says everyone, it means everyone. So I don't then get to say, well, you're doing this. Therefore, I get to cast you aside and say you're less than, you're worthless compared to these other people. They're still sinning, but it's not your sin. So I, I can't ever do that if I want to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. I also can't, in that same regard, say it's okay what you're doing when God teaches a separate way of how things are supposed to be done within the confines of marriage in the same way I wouldn't talk to someone who, you know, who's having an affair and saying, hey, you can stay in ministry. That's fine. Or I could, uh, hey, you're living with your girlfriend. That's okay. You know, you're doing what you're doing. God says that's fine when he says the exact opposite. But then I can't just then like throw that in someone's face and say, I hate you. I never want to understand you. You have no place here in this church. That is the exact opposite of what should ever be done in that scenario. So I guess uh, as far as affirming goes, affirming that, I mean, we're all wrestling and struggling. And I can't look at you and say, well, I'm better than you because I'm struggling with this. That has no place in the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming both of the ords kind of have the same stance. You wrote a book on it. Um, do you guys want to answer first or would you prefer me answer then you go? Uh, doesn't matter to me. Go ahead. Why don't you go okay. next? Okay. I um, I will say that I don't have too firm a stance on this thing. And uh, I know that's infuriating to people on both sides. It's much like politics where if you're in the middle, then you're definitely not my side is what everybody thinks. You know, I didn't vote Republican, so I might as well vote a Democrat. Or if I didn't vote Democrat, I might as well vote Republican. That's not actually how things work, guys. Anyway, um, (laughs) for me, I think the Bible shows a lot of trajectory. Um, You see that things are going more towards freedom, more towards people getting permission, more freedom in Christ, more love. There being less distinctions, you know, less, um, you know, Paul says there's no man nor female, but you also see there are still some things lingering. And I think the Bible shows a moral trajectory that's going closer towards freedom. I also... (laughs) do see where I think it is important biblically and just, you know, studying humanity. I always think it's important that we don't just say, do whatever you want sexually or whatever else. I think there, it is important that we have these 
some kind of standard, some kind of thing for ourselves, you know, um, not to, you know, I think the term is slut shame. I'm not trying that, but I am thinking through this whole, well, we know some things are actually healthier psychologically and physically healthier for people than some other things. I think it's important to think through that. I think that with any kind of physical relation you have with someone, there should be also commitment to that person. Um, but I think there's a huge misconception with a lot of people in modern day churches of, okay, well, it's always been a piece of paper signed, turned into the government in a ring and all this other stuff. When, um, yeah, you know, when Jesus and them were talking about it in the Roman times, the way you got married is you walked outside, threw someone's hand up and said, this is my wife now. Boom, done. You know, like <laughs> there's a reason divorce was such a huge issue because people just had to say, not mine anymore. That was the whole thing. There wasn't as much law wrapped up into it as what we have now. My grandparents, when they talked about you know, stuff not happening before marriage. They were also getting married at like 13, you know, like it is a very different world when some of this stuff's being talked about. Um, for me personally, I don't pretend to know the mind or heart of God. Um, I tend to look more at the principles of the Bible and principles of, you know, tradition. And to me, I think the principle shows that we should lean towards freedom for people, but also should keep in mind that commitment is an important part of any relationship. What that looks like might differ from person to person. I don't think it's my spot to judge. And I think probably from person to person, it looks wildly different what that commitment is. So there's my wish-washy place. <laughs> and, uh, just like Dr. Ord hates my <laughs> ambiguity with the God stuff, I'm sure that's not the best answer either. But <laughs> you know what, Tom, um, let's team up against Joshua. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's, the, that's the unity. Everyone against Joshua. <laughs> oh, so um Dr. Ord, I'll let you go ahead and start y'all's take on this as far as being fully affirming. What does that look like? All right, I'll I'll start and then Alexa, if you'd like to add something, go for it. I, I think the word affirm here can mean different things. Uh, affirm can mean that you recognize the intrinsic value of others. And I think that uh, in his answer, Christian would say he's affirming in that sense. He's loving and affirming in the sense that he looks on people who are queer and finds them valuable, wants to treat them well. And of course, I'm in agreement with him on that. Another way to think about affirming that I think is different from what Christian said is to say that what you think the uh, person does sexually is good, proper, beneficial, healthy. And in that sense, I think some queer sexual activity is healthy. I wouldn't say all, because I wouldn't say all straight or heterosexual activity, sexual activity is, is healthy. So my position is not only do I think queer people have intrinsic value, dignity, self-worth, etc., which I'm going to guess we're probably all going to say that. I also want to say that queer people and their healthy relationships should be affirmed by Christians. I'm going to add anything? And I'll, yeah, I'll add to that a bit. Um, I think I, I agree with Tom's statement, but I'm kind of coming at things from the other side of you all, which is, you know, uh, your sort of first commitment is to God and to the Bible or whatever, you know, religion in some aspect. And then you're sort of trying to figure out how to uh, become affirming of LGBTQ plus issues and people. Whereas I'm, you know, the inverse, I'm all, all on board for the queer community. And I'm like, all right, well, let's see if we can make God work in this. <laughs> um, and I think that sort of came uh, into our conversation when Tom and I were writing the introduction together 
and we sort of starting started to drill down on okay well what do we mean by affirming like what tom and christian are saying about healthy relationship you know and tom and i actually disagree about that and it comes what i what i ended up sort of uh arriving at in that conversation is that i don't have a ton of skin in the game as far as how the church like the church's own commitments, because I don't have those same same commitments, you know? And so if you guys want to decide that monogamous marriage is the thing for you, go to town. You know, that's not my thing. (laughs) If that's your, if that's the thing that you think that God is committed to, okay, we can work with that. And let's see how this also allows your commitments include queer people. Um, So I guess that's what I would say that, that maybe, of the Venn diagram, we're on the two separate halves of the circle, but we both meet in that middle. Mm, yeah. I, um, can I ask what, Alexa a question? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It would be fair though to say, Alexa, wouldn't it, that there are some, you could imagine some queer sexual activities that you would reject. For instance, if a 25 year old has sex with a three year old, you would say yes i think that i think that this is sort of a conversation about buckets you know so mm. that what i would so let's talk about pederasty uh back in the day you know um older men having sex with young boys i think that the the fact that those two people are of the same gender and the same sex is not what's wrong there. The fa- the thing that's wrong there is their age, you know? So I think yeah. pedophilia is wrong regardless of the genders of the people involved. And I also think that queer people, I won't get into big soapbox here, but um, queer people uh, have really embraced the diversity of sexuality and in a way that has sort of become synonymous, I think. <laughs> Any type of thing that maybe people might balk at by being uh, not of God, not healthy, um, is not inherently, is not exclusively queer. I think queer people often in the queer community often is much more willing to embrace that as something healthy and and, uh, good for them. But so maybe I want to pull apart here. Our, under our our correlations of the unhealthy sex that we imagine with the fact that we often associate them with queerness. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fair. Yeah, I think um, probably one of the things that would make some of what I said in my beliefs a little bit more distinct from the ords comes down to that thing you were getting at, their priority. Um, I, I'm trying to remember where it was, but Paul does write where he says, if you can help to not get married at all, do that because you can focus better on kingdom work. I'm a huge component of that. Like in my mind, the thing that I care most about your relationship is, is it helping you promote things of God, of love, of helping your community, or is it distracting you? And that's all you're focusing on. That's sort of where I care the most, if that makes sense. And I think I like um, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you came out with that. Cause I think Paul was really sucked when he said that. I think he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I, I think Paul thought Jesus was going to come back any day now. And he thought, well, heck, if Jesus is coming back, you know, in a month, then why get married now? Why why not do your thing? Whatever that is, that's going to be advancing the kingdom. But I think Paul was just flat wrong about his eschatology. So if you have an eschatology that's not expecting Jesus to come back next month, then you might think that marriage, sexual relationships are actually 
doing God's work. You might think that getting married is God's will for your life and therefore the most loving thing that God's calling you to do. And therefore, you shouldn't put it off. It shouldn't be sort of secondary <laughs> to the kingdom business. It's primary to the kingdom business. Yeah. What do you think of and that? I'll just uh, disagree with that. <laughs> I think if the, if the end times are tomorrow, I should do as much good as I can today. If the end times are 50 years from now, I should do as much good as I can in those 50 years. So you're uh, still advocating my, yeah. celibacy. Are you celibate? I'm, I'm advocating what is helps you as opposed to distracts you, if that makes sense. You know, I think a lot of people not being in a relationship is so detrimental to them that they can't do good works. And in those well, cases, we're, like, well, get married. <laughs> well, maybe we're, we end up saying the same thing then, although you're saying it in a negative way. You're saying like, you know, <laughs> you're saying the I Pauline way, like, well, if you can't hold handle your passions, get married so you can have sex with somebody. Um, that seems like a, a defeatist kind of way. I'm putting it more on the positive. Uh, maybe God's calling you to live a, a life in which you have a sexual partner your whole life, and that's the good and best thing that you could do or one of the best things you can do to advance the kingdom. I will, um, to, to get just specific, both of these are like, I've seen heterosexual relationships where, and you know, I would include mine in this where, you know, I think the relationship itself is actually beneficial to both people being able to do the most good in the world. But I also know of people who are in relationships where it just takes so much energy for them to maintain that relationship that it prevents them from doing what I think they could be doing. Good. Well, it sounds so it's like less we're making about the whether they're argument. a relationship or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds yeah. like we're on the same page, and I must have misunderstood you. Well, I probably said it poorly, which is why we ask questions and we dig around. <laughs> 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 yeah. So let's go to what are some of the most annoying or unhelpful arguments that you've heard from uh, both sides when it comes to this topic? Christian. They were already going to hell. They just confirmed it. Oh, wow. I've never heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah, I've, I've not heard that. Uh, it's pretty unpleasant. Thank God I never heard that at the church I attended. But I have met Christians out in the wild, uh, you know, the great wild of America, who have expressed opinions like that. And honestly, I was too flabbergasted to speak at first until I got a little angry. And argued back with them. So it probably wasn't my most shining moment in that argument. But I think I was just so blown away by hearing that out loud. How could anyone ever say, I love Jesus and what he commands and then say something like that baffles my mind. I, I'm going to say the that's an abomination or God hates that kind of conversations at all. I find really unhelpful. I also, on the flip side, I know that this is not what the slogan or the, um, the phrase means. But love is love at face value really bothers me because it does get into some of like what Dr. Ord was bringing up earlier. Like, what about pedophilia? What about this other stuff? And I'm like, yeah, no, there are some times where um, love is bad. <laughs> you know, there's sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's bad. <laughs> so it's like, I, I, th I think in general on both sides, like um, even, you know, there for a while there was the God hates fags thing that we're out. And I'm like, I, I think I just hate. When you try to summarize your view in a catchphrase, just in general, although that that last one was actually just bad, so so it doesn't <laughs> matter if you expanded that one was still bad. But you know, in yes. general, I don't like little gotcha statements. You know, the clobber verses that people talk about. The oh uh, well, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Yeah, I, I just. <laughs> 
just uh, let's, everyone let's thinks they're so clever when they say that from quick little jabs and get to like actual conversations. That's what I care about. Like and not being dismissive because you do hear that on both sides. Oh, well, they just don't believe the Bible or you hear the oh, well, they don't care about people. And you can't say that because if you're saying that you're slut shaming, if you're saying that you're this, if you're saying that you're that. And I'm like, oh, we could have actual conversations instead of labeling people and deciding what they believe for them. I don't like that. Those are usually my least favorite arguments. Alexa, you want to go? Sure. And this may be a bit of a hot take. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, yeah, I think a lot of the uh, traditional stuff irks me, but it's just sort of run of the mill. I think the thing that, that most uh, frustrates me is the idea of you can be gay, just don't do it over here. Or why do you have to shove it in our faces? Why, like, you can be gay, just do it quietly and look like everybody else. And I think that that is unfortunate because, to me, it really feels like a sort of, uh, (laughs) when your kid sort of obeys you, uh, like, following the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law, (laughs) you know what I mean? That that I think it really (laughs) fails to (laughs) encompass and really explore and embrace queer identity in all its multitudes, you know, in those people who quote unquote look just like me and are gay all the way to, you know, drag queens or whatever we think is the extreme of, of sort of outward queer appearance. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to add to that one real quick. Cause this is just one of those things. Like this is my pet peeve. <laughs> I bring it out a lot on our other podcast, systematic ecology. I hate the people who watch like the new Dr. Strange and stuff and get really aggravated because there was a same sex kiss, but we're completely cool with Iron Man sleeping with everyone. Like, please tell me, even in your own reasoning, what? (laughs) Like, even if I assume all your things are right, that makes no sense. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Just pet peeve out of the way. Dr. Ord. (laughs) Well, you guys have already picked up on some of my most annoying. So I'm going to I'm going to raise the stakes here in the conversation, raise the heat a little bit and say (laughs) uh, one of the things I find most annoying is Christian's first argument. Which is that he's <laughs> he's trying to be loving oh, by man. not being affirming. <laughs> I find that one the most annoying because you know it, it stands to reason, I suppose, given that I I have the stance I have because I think it is an act of love, and to hear someone else say they have the opposite stance because they're trying to be loving, I just go no. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Christian, you want to respond to that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, there's really no middle ground in that regard. I mean, so much for I unity mean, on this show. <laughs> I know, right? And we're destroying it right here and now. I mean, it, it's in moments like this that I always remember. In fact, I just taught on it in Luke 17. It was um, what was it exactly? Um, if your if your brother, what is it? Oh, I think I have it right here. Yeah, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And when I look at the law, when I look at the moral law, not the whole of the Old Testament law, the moral law we're supposed to follow, right and wrong, and I see that from Old Testament to New Testament, that hasn't changed in the fact that this is what marriage is supposed to be. It is my cause in love to call out, no, you can't do that, not because you're strange, not because you're different, but because it goes against what God has commanded for us. And God being who he is, well, I either line up with who he is or I don't. 
So I think I've got off track with my question, which was the original question. Well, so my mind's a little off. I have a follow-up to that. Go for it. Do you feel like it's loving to call them out because these are commands we need to do commands? Or is it more that you think they would be better off and they would flourish more if they were living differently? Well, doing something because God said to do it is always a good thing. But it's also because, I mean, in these rules, they seem like they're restrictive and they are restrictive for a good and better purpose for us because we, in our pride, uh, and that's not a dig at the, this month, I, I swear. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, us in our pride, we always look and say, well, I command mastery over myself and this world. So I get to say what is right. I am almost always wrong. <laughs> When I say, no, excuse me, I am always wrong when I say I know better than God and what he has told me to do. That's not helpful to me. It's not helpful for the people around me. And I can't love someone well enough if I'm trying to make what I want to be true versus what is actual truth. I think this question Joshua asked is a really good one. It was an issue I was planning to bring up earlier. So I want to play with a little bit more, Christian, and, and hopefully you don't feel like I'm attacking you. But nah. maybe maybe this will help us to have in our minds distinguish between a couple of issues. Um, I think when I hear people take the position you take, it's generally the approach you first took, which is, you know, I'll just use this language. Gay sex is wrong because God says it's wrong. Now, that's a claim that obviously is a claim about what we think God believes. And most people are going to go to the Bible if they're in the Christian tradition to try to show that. I don't think the Bible's clear on that, but just for the time being, let's call that we must obey God and God's against gay sex option. Another option would be gay sex is wrong because it's harmful. It hurts people. It hurts relationships. It hurts society. It hurts the individuals involved in them. Now, of course, usually added to that, and you did this a little bit, is, well, God, you know, doesn't want things that, that occur that are going to be harmful for people. So God's also against it. But really, it's a separate kind of argument. It's a, this is an argument about consequences of whether or not the behavior is healthy, if it leads to flourishing, etc. Now, I think some gay sex does lead to flourishing. So since I think that's true, then I would think God is endorsing it on this side. Um, Interestingly, I think the second one, the flourishing one, we can actually use empirical evidence to decide that question. Whether or not God likes it or not, it's harder to find empirical evidence on that one. I mean, again, we could go to the Bible, we have it interpreted. But this one over here, flourishing, we can use a bunch of scientific measures. And in fact, the Psychological Association has used those and come out to say, Gay sex in the right setting, et cetera, is positive. So do you see, think this is a good way to talk about this, distinguishing between obeying God and God's against gay sex versus you know, being against gay sex because it leads to harm? Or do you think ultimately those two things are just saying the same thing? That is an excellent question. It's like your professor or something. <laughs> I'm just enjoying the show. <laughs> yeah, no, this is good. All right. I think ultimately I kind of end up in a blend of the two Okay. in that it is harmful because of what God has commanded. And because he has said no for a reason, like he has every single time he said no, what stands to reason, there must be something inherently harmful to that versus what he has asked of us, what he has commanded us to do. I mean, I, I think of 
uh, Jesus talking about marriage. And he only brings up, you know, a man, he quotes Genesis as a man uh, will leave his parents and marry his, the woman and body da uh, the, the actual verse there off the top of my head. But <laughs> it, it gets me thinking because he doesn't bring up any other option. And well, you could argue like no. that's not the context. That's not the context is what people could argue. Well, we he talks about day, he talks about people who were made eunuchs and people who were born eunuchs. So yes. he's got some gender bending going on there. So it's not just men and women in marriage that he talks about. Yes, because that's something that can happen over time. Is unfortunately it's been used as a punishment over years to remove someone's masculinity in that regard, or no, someone born. because of the sinship. Uh, shriveled up world we live in, there are unfortunately consequences of living oh, in a fallen it. world where that can happen to someone when they're born. It's not their fault. It's not like God is saying, well, I'm especially punishing you because I want you to be different than everyone else and everyone to mock you. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that um, people who are, let's say intersex is what we would probably say today instead of eunuchs, people who are intersex born with genitalia who are, uh, we'll call it not of the typical kind of genitalia that that's a result of a fallen world. Yes. All right. So we got that one on the docket. So let me make sure we, <laughs> in the future, Christian can't use the natural law argument. So when we come to Romans and it says, you know, they set aside what was natural for what was unnatural. We can't go back and say, oh yeah, that, that works here because we live in a fallen world and what we think is natural is now off the table. Yeah. Also the natural arguments, that's another one that just irritates me. I'm not going to get into it too much. But <laughs> you see what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying here, right? Natural. Uh, guys, if you want to scar yourselves, look up ducks mating rituals and like oh, how God. ducks mate. That's yeah. natural. No one's going to say that's okay. Like it's just yeah. not. Anyway. But you, but you see the move I was doing there in the conversation? I was saying if you're going to play the fallen world card, mm -hmm. then you can't mm -hmm. play – the natural law card. If you're going to play the natural law card, don't play the fallen world card. So you're playing the fallen world card on uh, the questions of Unix intersex. So when it comes to that Romans passage, don't play the natural. They set aside what was natural for what was unnatural because we have got a fallen world and who knows what's natural. Man. But we know what's natural because of what is normally supposed to happen. But if as it's a fallen world, how do we know what's normally supposed to happen? Majority. Whatever is in the majority is, in, is correct? As far as biologically, yes. So if that's the case, What's then... Up? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go. My bad. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, if that's the case, then whatever is in the majority at any particular time in history is the correct thing, which no. means that... Oh, you wouldn't say that. Absolutely not. So I was going to use the example of, you know, 500 years ago, it was normal for people to be approximately five... Uh, feet five inches tall. Now it's normal for people to be taller. Um, things have changed over time. So you'd have to probably make some sort of a claim about the change biologically being appropriate, natural, or a part of the fall. Uh, perhaps I should explain what I mean by natural. As in like very beginning, Adam, Eve, natural. And then after that, they didn't start off corrupted. After choosing to sin, that's when corruption enters humanity. I assume that's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. So, so would you say then that when natural is used in scripture, they're talking about Adam and Eve kind of natural? I'd have to look at the context. 
Yeah, that's a smart answer because Paul used the word natural in Romans talking about sex. And then later on, he says it's unnatural for men to have long hair. So that seemed like it's a pretty cultural thing. At least most people today don't think men with long hair are unnatural. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we've got some real problems figuring out what natural is. Yeah, we get yeah. to that English language screwing everything up again. <laughs> yeah. Stupid I, language. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to put out, because we talked a few things. Um, another thing, um, which I'm curious where Christian stands on this, uh, within the community of people who believe that same-sex relations are sin, um, they have like what, the, what typically is called like type a, point A, point B. I forget if they say type or point. Um, it's like the A, B part of the conversation where some say the identity itself is sin. You are, cannot be born gay. And then there are those, um, particularly like Gregory Coles has been on our show before, who believes himself to be born gay, but says acting on that is then the sin. So I'm Christian. If I'm throwing it to you, is the identity part what you would consider sin or would you consider it the acting on which i i know the ords would say neither of those things <laughs> so this is really just for you question <laughs> um hmm interesting because i would go ultimately the act itself would definitely 100 percent sinful the identity would depend because at the end of the day it's like i was talking about earlier of us deciding for ourselves what is right who i'm supposed to be in this world mm-hmm can sometimes lead into pride that causes us to fall away from God and do our own thing. So I think I would lean towards kind of yes, also yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Mention Gregory Cole's book. Also look up both the books by uh, Gregory Cole and then God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. It's more of the progressive side, but it's good arguments for that side, I would say. Um, But Gregory Cole does kind of do that side B kind of part of the conversation of he's born this way, identifies this way. And he takes a lot of my argument for why he thinks not acting on it of, you know, God also asked the heterosexual to, you know, do certain things to deny themselves in certain ways. Everyone is supposed to deny themselves in some ways. He takes a little bit further than I would, but that is some of where I get my arguments. So I just thought it was worth bringing that up. Dr. Ord, I'm going to throw this to you first now, as far as how important this conversation is within church culture um, would you say that this is a first, second, third tier issue? Is this a matter of salvation that someone agrees with you? Or is this more of a, we should just go to different churches if they disagree with you? Salvation to me means living a life of love, being healthy. And I think the queer issue has, that, that queer people have been traumatized and harmed in such a way they don't live the kind of healthy lives they could live. And therefore, the way the church has um, addressed queer people has diminished their salvation. Um, So I think it's a first tier issue. Christian. Uh, Well, if this is an issue of salvation, man, I got to bring my card back because I did not sign out the questionnaire at six years old about stuff like this. I'm not trying to make a lot of you. I swear. I also don't remember what, don't know what you're talking about. Is there a card in Baptist churches that you fill out? Oh, yes. Well, you know us Baptists, we like everything to be neat and organized, right? You know? This is a first for me. I have not heard no, this. No, absolutely. There is no card. We're just joking, people. Okay. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's probably a mix of two and three. Two and three. Okay. Um, yeah. What's three? I, um, what's, what's three? You can go to the same like, church and disagree. Oh, oh, I see. I see. We can be a Republican and Democrat being at the same church. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think you can go to the same church and disagree. Uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I misunderstood the question. Yeah, I um, you know, for me, I'm I'm probably going to put it at a second tier thing. Um, particularly because of the situation we we're talking about earlier. Of if we're going to decide how we're going to support a community or not, I think the church itself that's deciding these things should be in agreement on what that means and looks like. So I put it at a second tier. I don't think it's for me. I don't think it's a salvation issue. I think you know people can be saved and get all kinds of things wrong. I am sure there's probably some sin I've done my whole life and I'm completely unaware of that one day God's gonna go, yeah you did that wrong your whole life. I don't think I'm gonna go to hell for whatever that thing is. You know I I just I am more of that. I think God's a lot more loving and um, forgiving than people tend to want to give him credit for. <laughs> so, I think uh, the question is assumes. A particular understanding of salvation that probably we don't agree on between the three. At least I don't agree with. Oh you yeah, no. <laughs> I figured it's not. Yeah, because yeah. I think the question is aimed at like, where do you go after you die, and that's what salvation is. But I'm in the Wesleyan tradition, and we think salvation is something you start experiencing now. So the way you live your life right now gauges the kind of salvation you're enjoying in the present. Now I happen to also believe in the afterlife, but. Uh, so I was answering the question, does this affect the salvation of people in this life yeah. right here and right now? And I say, yep, sure does. Yeah, I think I'm probably in agreement with you. I mean, that's how I would view salvation. I'm not even completely sure what the afterlife stuff is, nor do I particularly care. Um, I, I I believe that someone can have salvation, experience God now and be wrong on this issue one way or the other. But I also think, see where you're saying that it still would affect their salvation and like how they're able to be in relationship with God. And I think that's probably also true. I think so. Did you have anything that you wanted to add to any of this part of the conversation? <laughs> well, I would say, you know, in in some ways, I, I, again, got no skin in the game as far as, far as what tier you, you know, but I, I would say um, I would hope maybe that folks think of it as a third tier sort of go to the same church level issue so that people who are not affirming can get in conversations with people who are affirming and queer people and we can make it a conversation as opposed to i think something like the second tier or you know we're basically we're we're sectioning people off uh is that perhaps an easier way but a much uh sadder outcome <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm, can I ask a question of Alexa? Hit me. <laughs> Alexa, can you imagine going to the local Baptist church, being queer, someone coming up to you and saying, we're so glad you're a part of this community, but we just want you to know, we think your lifestyle is sinful, but you're welcome here. How do you think that would hit well, you? <laughs> that's the thing is, I'd be a lot happier in the the second tier. Where, like, I'm real tempted to just say, if you're not affirming, go over there. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> but <laughs> and in some ways, that's how I've shaped my life until now. And I've decided to opt back into this conversation. Yeah, but yeah. I think oh, that, that what queer people do is totally up to them. You know, prioritize your own well-being. But I think that it is the obligation of people like Tom and people like all of us here to have this conversation and to not sort of lie dormant in our current understandings. You know, I think that if you care about queer people and queer issues, 
you need to be talking to everyone around you, regardless of where you are on sort of the affirming, not affirming spectrum. It needs to be a public sort of conversation so that we're all sort of thinking and, and working this out together. And queer people, you do your own thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess I agree with you on that. I guess I was thinking about people we know who are queer, who hear from people in the church, you're welcome to be a part of who we our community, but just know that we think your lifestyle is sinful. Your relationship is sinful. And the queer people I know who hear that, they like resent that. They're like, you're not yeah. really loving me. You're not really welcoming me. You're as conditional in your love here. You're saying I can join, I can tithe, but who I am and who I love, that's sinful. I agree. Yeah, I think that that stance puts sort of a fundamental hierarchy between myself and the other person. And also sort of like, I would ask, what are queer people supposed to do if our identity is maybe at its core sinful and our practice is definitely sinful? Do we just hate ourselves and not have sex for our entire lives? Like, that's really depressing. And, you know, I believe that God created us all in our full, as fully sexual beings too. So are, are you, by, by taking the stance of queer people, a gay person just shouldn't have sex. You're condemning them to a life of abstinence that is not the way that God created them. Even if you think that, you know, the way in which they're expressing that sexuality is against God. If, if they can't express their own God-given sexuality in any way, I think that that is is a really unfortunate and sad sort of condemnation. And it's no wonder suicide is so much higher. Yep, absolutely. Christian, what? anything to add? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Christian. <laughs> no, really no, no. <laughs> I'm enjoying this conversation so much. I want you both to know that. Good, thanks. Like, I don't feel ganged up on or anything like that. Like, this is fun. And to continue the fun, uh, let's ask this next question. Hold on. Before, <laughs> wait, we, go, wait, wait. before we go any further, I got I to gotta register one thing that I'm resentful of. Okay. I'm oh. resentful that Christian has the name Christian and he gets his <laughs> side of things. <laughs> Unfair advantage. <laughs> Unfair. That's just not uh, right. Wow. Blame my name on the play. Change your name. <laughs> We're calling you Matthew from now on. <laughs> That's my first name. Hey, yeah, you guys are both apostles. I'm nobody. <laughs> uh, okay. So recently, the both of you wrote a book that had many contributors with it, and you called it Why the Church of the Nazarene Should Be Fully LGBTQ Plus Affirming. Uh, what can you tell us about the need for this book and how it came together? Alexa, so who came with the idea one? first? Sure, I'll, I'll take a stab. So um, Tom came to me with this idea um, in the fall of last year after he had sort of been thinking about this issue for a long time and some sort of things had come to a head that he might touch on later. Um, with sort of this desire to shift away from, for a while, um, he had maybe thought about writing a, a book himself, and then he had the idea, let's write a, a, a collection of essays. So reach out, out to me to sort of join this project with him, um, in part because of my gender studies background, and in part just because, you know, we've worked on some books together, and we're a good father-daughter little team. <laughs> um, and our sort of aim here there were many aims, but part of it was about sort of bringing to the fore a conversation that had been happening in the background, in the quiet for many, many years. 
but especially in the Church of the Nazarene, had hardly at all been sort of made explicit. Um, and we knew many people who were privately affirming, but felt like they couldn't say that publicly. And we felt like this issue is kind of reaching ahead. We need to sort of push people to make that public. And on the other hand, to sort of allow space for a conversation and, and for queer voices to share their stories that, at least in my uh, experience, had never really happened in the Church of the Nazarene before. Um, so we reached out to a whole bunch of people, ended up getting 90 essays, and it's really just a huge collection of stories and perspectives and scholarly arguments about why being affirming is the right choice or the only choice for the Church of the Nazarene. And it's also um, comes from a lot of different sort of areas on the spectrum of being affirming. You know, I think that none of there's <laughs> the amount of contributors that perfectly agree with each other is very few. There's a wide variety. And so it allows for anyone who, you know, maybe they who they haven't figured out their whole whole ideas yet but they want to be affirming there's a place an entry point for them in this book to sort of hear their hear the stories of queer people think through these arguments and and yeah take on that that mantle of affirming yeah one of the things we did when we first started inviting people um is we told them right up front this is going to be the title of this book why the church of the nazarene should be fully lgbtq plus affirming so people knew going into it, if they're going to write an essay and their name's going to be in this book, it's going to have this fully affirming thing right on the cover, mm -hmm. which um, meant that some people just couldn't write for the book because they could lose their jobs. Uh, yeah. And it also, I think, gained helped us have clarity. You know, this this book is not a conversation like we're having right now. People with all kinds of different perspectives coming together. This is kind of a more of a uh, statement, uh, an agenda, a movement. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it's it's sort of this is a, a place where we think we ought to be. And these folks in their own ways, which are pretty diverse and different degrees of endorsement of the affirming. But we're all saying we need to be affirming. Mm -hmm. OK, so would you say that this book is primarily just for people in the Nazarene tradition? Or you attend it for a more global uh, the denominational audience. I think that there very little in this book, except for I would say maybe some of the um, the scholarly perspectives, um, is Nazarene specific. Uh, I think anybody, regardless of denomination or religion, could and should read this book. Um, but I also think that it is really valuable to have a denomination specific book because so many of the essays talk about. I'm a third, fourth generation Nazarene. I went to the Nazarene universities, you know, sort of like trotting out their Nazarene credentials saying, you know me, I am in your community. This is not some other person across the world, you know, reading some narrative of someone you don't know. This is incredibly personal to our denomination. So I think it's valuable for everyone to read it. But I mean, we've had um, multiple other denominations of uh, people in other denominations reach out to us wanting to do a similar book for their own. And we say to them, it's not redundant. It's absolutely necessary in those spaces too, because then you can share your own specific uh, reasons and, and experiences. Okay. So, uh, Tom, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, she, she covered it well. All right. Well, it's almost like you two wrote <laughs> the book on it. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question for this part. What are your biggest dreams with this project 
and what do you hope comes from the work that you've done with it? Maybe I'll start this one, Alexa. I mean, obviously, the biggest dream is that the Church of the Nazarene would change its views and become fully affirming. We don't expect that to happen, you know, very soon. We think it's going to be a conversation. If the polling that we've seen is correct, the majority in the denomination don't think like we do. However, if that same polling is correct, the majority of young people in the denomination do think like we do. So we've got the long game in mind, and uh, we think eventually the kind of things we're proposing will be uh, accepted and the denomination will become fully affirming. In the short run, we had we wanted to influence the conversations that are currently happening uh, at the district and national level or international level, and we've been successful in that. We wanted to encourage uh, queer people to come forward and share their stories. We wanted to encourage allies to be bolder in their their being allies, <laughs> allyship, whatever that word is there. Um, <laughs> and we wanted to make people aware that the arguments in favor of LGBTQ plus affirming, especially biblical arguments, are far stronger than most people realize. So uh, those were some of our dreams and hopes. Alexa, would you want to add anything else? Sure, yeah. I have a dream for this book that I think, let me, for for all uh, maybe um, ill-intentioned listeners out there, I'll be very explicit. These are my my dreams. And uh, uh, Tom definitely disagrees with me on some of this. Um, I really hope that this book is the start of a conversation about that this, this starts more conversations about other types of uh, identities that maybe we don't talk about in the group in the book and are not sort of part of the conversation anyway, that Tom and I disagree on uh, that, you know, are sort of not, publicly discussed. I think that we, I would love to do, I mean, not a literal part two, but I think the church needs to talk about polyamory, casual sex, masturbation. You know, we do talk about intersex issues and and trans issues some, but I think we could talk a lot more about gender expression. I think all of those issues are, uh, you know, it's a slippery slope and I personally am willing to slide (laughs) down that slippery slope. I think that those are the realities of of human life. And I think the church needs to wrestle with them in the way that I land currently, you know, maybe not everybody agrees with, but I hope that we can continue that conversation. Okay. So as much as you're both comfortable talking about, like, can you go through those disagreements with us here? Like what only what you want to say? Cause you know, that's something you might not sure, want to say I on think, there. I think of the ones I listed, I think Tom and I are on the same page about masturbation and intersex and trans issues and are probably are on different pages about polyamory and casual sex. Do you agree with that, Dan? Yeah, yeah. She's more optimistic about polyamory than I am and casual sex, yeah. Okay. Now, is that a, that cause any issues with the writing? Because I'm a writer as well, Alexa. I don't know if uh, that's been brought up before. Uh, but like collaborative projects, like it kind of gets in the way sometimes, like did that cause a lot of friction at some point in time? Was something that you, uh, you had disagreements? Like we got all came back and hugged each other at the end. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely no friction, but I think that that there's a, a pretty concrete sort of uh, example we can talk about, which is that in our first draft of the introduction, Tom used the word promiscuity to talk about unhealthy sexual behavior. And personally, I didn't want to peg promiscuity. Number one, I think 
promiscuous feels much to me the way that homosexuality can sort of feel outdated. To me, it feels that sort of like outdated way to talk about um, casual sex or multiple sexual partners, um, but also is a thing that we disagree on. Um, and how we sort of, you know, once we sort of got into the conversation of what, what, were, what are we actually trying to pin down here on what's not healthy or what do we think of as not healthy? And how can we both sign off on this inter- introduction in a way that we feel good about it? Um, is I think that I, I personally define healthy sex as something that is about community and care and relationality, which I think Tom would agree on. Um, but maybe what that looks like is a little bit different. And personally, I think you can have that community and care and relationality in casual sex or sexual relationships. I don't think that Tom probably would disagree with that, but by removing that word promiscuity and, and sort of drilling down to what's, what are we actually trying to get at here? I think we arrived at a place where we felt both felt really positive. She said it well. Yep. All right. Anything you want to add to that time? No, I think she said it well for me. It's all about what's healthy. And I admit that, deciding what healthy is not always easy and people can have different opinions, but we do have some markers, I think. And those markers are, you know, psychological kind of studies we can do studies related to uh, relationships and society, et cetera. Um, I'm open to just about anything if it promotes healthy relationships. So I'm open to being convinced on all these issues. <laughs> Slide down that slippery slope with me, everyone. <laughs> it's the slippery slope of love is what it is. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, we joke about the slippery slope argument. I think it's a really in, important one to talk about because when I hear people who are opposed to the kinds of things Alexa and I are saying in this book, they'll say, you know, well, if you give them this inch, they're going to take a mile. It's a slippery slope to whatever, sex with cats. If Go back to that illustration again. Um, and I recognize the worry there uh, because, again, some people really want obvious black and white kind of pinholes. But I believe that's not the way life is. And I don't think that's the way the Christian religion portrays what it means to live a dynamic life of love. I think we have lots and lots and lots of examples in Scripture in which particular laws like don't eat, don't uh, harvest on the Sabbath or if you're going to be a part of the elect, you have to be circumcised are set aside in the name of love. Um, so it's a messy business. I admit it. But ultimately, for me, love is my ultimate criterion. Hmm. Hmm. Alexa, did you have anything to add to what Dr. Ord just said? Yeah, I would say uh, to the black and white thing, I think that, yeah, there is a real hope for, I think the, the, the way that the black and white sort of approach ends up is you make a list of every single sexual act you can think of and decide which are in and which are out. <laughs> and I think that's number one, just not realistic. And it's a silly endeavor. But also, I think it, it has a real stagnant approach to humanity. Um, I think we're always evolving. Our relationships are always changing, you know, never, never underestimate the creativity of, of sex. I feel like we're going to be coming up with new things left and right. <laughs> and I feel what we, what we need less is, yeah, sort of a listing of this is okay. This is not okay. This is, you know, of God or not. And more, yeah, a, a lens through which to approach these issues. And I think personally, I think, in 20 years, we'll all be uh, uh, 
embracing polyamory as a, a part of God's creation too. But that's just my prediction, and we'll see if I'm wrong. <laughs> I Keith Sherlin, I believe it is, we've had on the show and is working on a project just about that because, you know, there's a lot of mm. issues Christian missionaries run into over countries dealing with this. They've never even thought of the topic. And if you look at the Old Testament, it's kind of weird that we've never thought of the topic because it seems pretty prevalent. But that might be uh, another one for another time. <laughs> it's a big question. Absolutely love um, it. Yeah, because as soon as you condemn all polyamory, you're saying David went to hell and uh, a lot of Christians aren't OK saying that. <laughs> so that's a that's a fun one. Um, man. Yeah. Christian, did you have any any final notes on anything that you wanted to throw out there? Uh, no, this has been like last time, really engaging, and a lot of fun, really challenging. And I enjoy being challenged. I don't want to ever live in an echo chamber. So I'm all for yeah. stuff like this. Yeah. Hearing everyone's take on the tier stuff really, I think that kind of helped me, especially just kind of getting to that part of the conversation of like salvation. And we might mean different things about that. And what do we mean by something affecting our salvation or not? I think I would really like to further that conversation one day, but put a pin in it. Let everyone know that I want to do that. <laughs> let it linger. Um, for now, we're going to do Dr. Ward's least favorite segment. Actually, before we, before we do that, can I, I say a little bit about that tier thing? Another thing about the tier stuff? Yeah. Um, a little over a year ago when I was going through the problem, having to answer questions before a group of people to decide whether or not I was going to be disciplined, I met with a leader after that event. And the conversation led me to believe that this leader regarded the queer issues as eh, just kind of question of being politically correct, just kind of secondary, third, whatever, just kind of down, you know, the real heart of the matter is where people go to heaven. He didn't actually say this, but, you know, I got mm -hmm. the sense that that's what was really, what really we should be focusing on. And this queer stuff, I mean, it only affects you know, roughly 5% of the population, if the Pew studies are correct. Um, and I realized not only that my view of salvation was different, but also that these issues I thought were not only important for queer people uh, who have been traumatized and harmed, but also important for straight people to, um, to follow Jesus' command to love the least of these if we mean by least of these, those in society who are marginalized, and that we really would not be doing well if we thought of this issue as kind of take it or leave it, or just for people who are interested in uh, weird and odd kinds of uh, topics. So that's why my answer was, this is a tier one kind of issue. So since you brought up the Jesus thing, I want to see if I'm summarizing things as well as I can here. We're leaving the 99 sheep for the one. I think we're all on board for that. The difference, I think, seems to come to when Christian is getting to the one, he wants to correct the one back to the shepherd. Yeah. I think you're more saying embrace it and love it back to the shepherd. I mean, I think Christian also would say love, I'm not trying to say he's not wanting to love. <laughs> um, and, and I guess I'm sort of a, more of this individual, let's see what's most prosperous for you kind of thing, which isn't necessarily not what either of you are saying <laughs> mine seems I think very I'm saying something different middle. i'm th okay. i think christian is saying 
We need to rescue the the one to bring it back to the 99. Okay. And I'm saying that one is already a part of the flock. Mm. And I'm saying bring the 99 to the one. Oh, <laughs> I love Honestly, it. <laughs> yeah, get out there, you know, go to a drag show, go to a pride parade. We're having a ball of a time over here. That's why they used to say, you know, uh, it's a gay old time. Let's bring that back. <laughs> yeah, I, I want all 100 to prosper, whatever that looks like. So I'm open to anyone being right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, then, with that, now we can do Dr. Ord's least favorite segment, <laughs> our God <laughs> moment, which both him and the other TJ, who's usually here, point out every moment's a God moment. But we just want to <laughs> something recently that you have experienced the divine or seen the touch of the divine in more than usual or the same as usual, just something you want to mention. Um, I will start first. Um, I actually forgot the name of the guy, but it's Noah something. And there is a song that is Growing Sideways is the name of the song. It's Noah Khan. There we are. I should know that. Khan, right? Finch of Khan. But um, yeah, it's Growing Sideways. Very beautiful song I was listening to earlier. And he just kind of talks about how it seems like everybody else is growing forward. And he's growing sideways. And reminded me of all the times that I've only been able to go forward because I kind of did a sideways growth kind of moment. You know, of a changing my belief here. I didn't go forward anyway. I just changed a little bit. It went to the side one way or the other. And I think that's allowed me a lot of times to grow forward and grow progress, if you will, as a human. Um, so I'm just going to that moment, which is kind of reminding me and just kind of looking forward to the next time that I uh, grow sideways so that I can go forward and just appreciating those moments. Christian, you want to go next? Sure. I feel like all I do whenever this comes up is speak on the progress of little niece or nephew that hasn't come yet. <laughs> and we still don't know uh, the gender of the baby because they're being difficult and I love them anyways. Um, so right now I just received some of the last ultrasounds they're going to have. My mom sent those pictures to me. Baby is due going to be induced on Monday. I am so ready to hold that little sucker in my arms and shower all the love and affection in the world on them. Uh, regardless, boy, girl, I'm on team niece, but I'm, I'm open <laughs> to being wrong. I'm open to loving them either way. Uh, so that's a big one. And of course, because I cheat on here and do more than one uh, as per usual, uh, I would also bring up a smaller moment. Someone just asked me the other day if they could pray for me. And that's like, that, that happens every now and then, but it hit me. It's like, they legitimately care about me. God has put me on their heart hmm. and I need that. I need yeah. more people like that. And I need to be that person. Good stuff. Good stuff. Alexa, have you seen the divine in anything recently? Yeah, you know, when I saw this uh, question was coming up, I was really stumped uh, <laughs> as someone who doesn't believe in God per se. Um, yeah, but I, think, I tried to reword it a little bit for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. I appreciate that. I think if I think about the divine as sort of, yeah, sort of what I talked about before about community and care and relationality, um, it's been really such an honor to do these podcasts with my dad, you know, even just beyond the book. Um we, I just recently, we did one the other day that just, I, I was reflecting on, uh, you know, as all children do when I was in college, <laughs> I remember feeling like my parents just don't get me. I have my whole other life. Yeah. Like they don't even know my, the real me. Um, and just doing that podcast and all these podcasts, it's been really great to feel like, like my dad and I, like we get each other. <laughs> 
you know, we're a team. And I think that's really, really great. Mm. Yeah. Well, that was my God moment right there. Having my daughter. Talk <laughs> so you could say did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, before we wrap up, uh, Again, I'm going to go through a quick list of things. Um, if you want a view closer to Christians to read about, Kevin DeYoung does write what the Bible really teaches about homosexuality. I think that's a good one from his side that doesn't come off too hate-speeched. Um, Again, let me Gregory register Cole, my... Let me register my worry. When you said closer to Christians, I thought you meant closer to the Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Unfair advantage again. Um, What can I say? More more what I'd say in the middle. We're talking about the side B. I mentioned Gregory Coles. Look up his writings. Um, Matthew Vines, again, is more progressive side, closer to the Ords, as well as the Ords' own book, Why the Nazarene Church Should Be Fully LGBTQ Plus Affirming. Check all those out. Get a full perspective of these conversations and um, think for yourself. I'm a big fan of that. And with that, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, thought it was interesting, want to talk about it with a friend, then share it with a friend or an enemy or a cousin, preferably a cousin. We like cousins around here. Jump on Discord if you want to have more conversations with me and TJ, who's not here right now, to hear what he thinks about this episode. (laughs) Of course, you can hear other shows like ours and TJ and Christians the Anazal Ministries Podcast Network website is in the show notes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, come back next week. We're going to be interviewing some other people from the Systematic Geekology, um, our other podcasts, who are from all kinds of different traditions and beliefs and just talk about what it's like working together when you don't always agree. Then we're going to be interviewing Caitlin Shess about her newest book, The Ballot in the Bible, How the Scripture Has Been Used and Abused in American Politics and where we go from here. And of course, finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan, who is currently unaware of it, will be joining us. One day someone will tell him and he'll just show up and be like, man, you've had a lot of people who criticize me on here. And we'll be like, yeah, you want to talk about it? And then he will. It'll be great. Come on in, Francis. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Again, you could always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast or on captivate.fm or on apple podcast you can also leave us a one-time tip through captivate thank you for listening